0: Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann Professional Books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. We are gripped by fear. I'm Brett from Heinemann, and those are the opening words from Lucy Calkins in her foreword to *The Unstoppable Writing Teacher* by Colleen Cruz. As Lucy prepares the reader for Colleen's words, she goes on to write, quote, "Fear is a cage that traps us alone into our worst selves, into a space with demons only we can see. We become the person we dread being." End quote. In *The Unstoppable Writing Teacher*, Colleen Cruz tells us to name that fear. The self-declared positive pessimist guides us through building a better toolbox and helps us identify what stops us in writing instruction. Colleen's honesty is on full display throughout The Unstoppable Writing Teacher, so I started out by asking about her anxieties and why it was important to include them in the book
1: one of the things i learned pretty early on in life i think probably from my mother was that when you make things public when you bring things into the light they're less scary Mm -hmm. the proverbial pile of laundry in the corner of your bedroom that you think is a monster (laughs) when you turn on the light you say oh that's really a pile of laundry or it is in fact a monster um (laughs) and either way it's easier to fight that monster when you can actually see it yeah and I think a lot of times we get ourselves into deeper trouble when we try to pretend something doesn't really exist. When we try to look the other way, even things like in our own personal lives, like feeling doubts about a relationship with somebody or concerns about a parenting decision. Mm -hmm. I think when we keep those a secret and we try to put just our best face, I think we set ourselves up for actual failure. I think you're... Or at least I know I am less likely to feel like a failure when Mm -hmm. um, I've put my problems out there. And I feel like communities step up when you put those things out there. I'm more likely to get help and assistance for problems when I say them. And I also think there's a stigma around having struggles and challenges that I feel we should get rid of. I think I do strongly believe that challenges and struggles are what make life interesting why we read stories yeah. it's <laughs> when we look at the end of a day it's it's the fact that we overcame a, a struggle or a challenge that makes us feel like our lives were worth living so that's why i think it's really important to keep talking about those things
0: you know one of the things that you talk about in the book is we confuse the writing and the writer mm-hmm. why do we do that
1: <laughs> the first time i heard that was lucy cockins like oh gosh it was like 1995 i think the first time i Heard her do a keynote, and she said something about teaching the writer, not the writing, and it and it felt like I got hit by a lightning bolt, like because mm-hmm. I had realized that's exactly what I do as a as a teacher is I focus. I think often what we do is we focus on what we see in front of us, and so when we look at student writing, we literally look at the concrete evidence in front of us, and we want to make that concrete piece of evidence in front of us better or stronger Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to look at a child and see what he or she could do his or her potential what's not there Mm -hmm. and try to make it happen and i think so it it is challenging for us to teach almost into a void into possibility into into absence of something Mm -hmm. often sometimes there's some some signs that the child can go this way um and I think – so because because you're sort of – the difference is teaching into something that's concrete versus something that's imagined, I think that's part of what we do it. I also think that many of us are judged on what's hanging on our bulletin boards or what goes mm. home in folders. And so I've heard teachers say, but, you know, when my superintendent comes or my principals come or my parents come for a visit, they're not going to necessarily see Johnny made huge amounts of growth. They're going to see – Johnny's piece doesn't look like the rest of the classes. Mm. And so could I just sort of do a little this and that to make Johnny make a passable piece? And that's understandable, too. That's a that's a pressure that I think a lot of teachers feel. I think a lot of us feel, you know, if you've ever had a party, how many of us, mm. like, pretend to clean the house and then shove everything <laughs> into one closet <laughs> yeah. when really we should use that opportunity to clean the house. Yeah. Um and i think that as teachers um the challenge is completely understandable mm-hmm. i also think it's short-sighted and i think if we want to have a legacy to to the work that we do if we want kids to remember us in 20 30 years or to go to college thinking fondly of us it's not just that one piece about you know their aunt and the chocolate bar it, it it's got to be about their year with you and the mm-hmm. and the trajectory of the body of work the child did with you
0: one challenge you write about in the book, uh, you were welcomed a, a young man named Samir who came into your classroom from Yemen. When his father brought him in, he announced that he didn't know any English. And you immediately, in your writing, give us a glimpse into your internal panic <laughs> on how to teach him without knowing his language. What did you learn from that experience?
1: Oh, gosh. there I learned, a, I learned many, many things from that experience. One is my own false conception of if I have this, then I can do that. I'd had students in my class who spoke Spanish in the past, and I felt really comfortable working with them. I'd had students who spoke French, and even though I wasn't fluent in French, I felt like I knew a couple of words or I knew something about the culture. But when with this particular student, I didn't know his alphabet. I didn't know the sounds. I didn't feel like I particularly knew the culture. Mm-hmm. And what I failed to realize is probably some of the things I'd been doing In the past, which is when I worked with a child who spoke Spanish, the the knowledge of Spanish that I had didn't necessarily affect my knowledge of ability to teach English to an English language learner. It Mm -hmm. sort of masked my own lack of knowledge and strategy and skill for teaching those students. So Samir taught me to learn how to teach Mm -hmm. um, somebody who uh, was learning English He taught me how to ask for help because it was such a clear thing for me to find out that this student, you know, with all of his, the things that he was dealing with, with his new home, with being separated from his mother and some of his siblings, he taught me a lot about the whole package of of a student communicating with the family. I had to communicate with the family because Mm -hmm. they were the only people who spoke his language that I knew of. So I learned something of that. Looking at how, basically embracing my ignorance as an opportunity to become smarter about Mm -hmm. something, to study something that I think ended up being beneficial for my whole class. Because anything that I did for Samir or with Samir ended up being something that was beneficial to everybody, including my students learning a lot about Yemen Mm -hmm. and Arabic language and... Him bringing his Yemen dictionary to school and, you know, kids seeing some of his picture books that he had read at home. And I think there was a beauty in that, that if I had thought I knew all that, I would have, I would have lost.
0: Throughout the book, you go back and forth between two thoughts, what stops us and seeing opportunities. Why was that important? I think, I think it's good when we
1: look at something that's trouble to name exactly why it's trouble, I can't remember when it happened to me, but at one point I I remember, I think I was going into a class and I had stepped in a puddle and I had complained. <laughs> and a friend of mine said, Why are you complaining? And I was like, Oh, I stepped in a puddle and like, why is that a problem? I just I think sometimes we say something's a problem because it's just an assumption that it's gotta mm-hmm. be a problem. And so I think when we're looking at challenges as teachers, we can get it 's really easy because teaching is so hard to get on a litany of all the things that are challenging, mm-hmm. um, but there are things that are challenging that happen every day that don 't really stop our teaching lining up the bells ringing i don 't know I taught in New York City, so you know the heater was always banging during the <laughs> you know there's like endless things that didn 't stop me, mm-hmm. so I think some challenges are challenges, but they don 't get in your way, mm-hmm. and some do, and I think it 's important to stop. And name what gets in their way. And sometimes when we name the things that get in our way, we actually see the solutions. Sometimes we realize that challenge isn't that important. And then going from that to then seeing the possibilities, I have pretty much every single time I've had a challenge, there has always been something positive that comes out of it. And I don't mean it like in a take lemons and make lemonade kind of way, although I guess it could be interpreted that way. But I think challenges are how we grow Mm -hmm. and growing is painful. And I think when we look at a challenge and see why it's a challenge, but then look at what we can gain from it, it makes it more worth the effort to go forward and and do all the hard work we need to do.
0: On that note, you are a self-proclaimed positive pessimist. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. And you write, it comes with seeing opportunities. Among those opportunities, you write, it is to value diversity of student assets and growth. What are you referring to here?
1: If if we were to just go with thoughtless teacher banter when we're talking to our spouses at home or with friends at a cocktail party and we talk about, you know, this is a great student to have in your class, I think there's a picture that pops into most people's heads of mm-hmm. what that great student to have in your class looks like feels like, sounds like. And what I've come to learn is that every child, and not in a like we are the world, you know, kumbaya kind of way, but in an actual truthful way, <laughs> that every kid who comes to your class um, has something about them that's going to make the class a better place, is going to make you a better teacher the way that they learn or their life experiences or their personality or their emotionality or their interests, And I think when we look at that and look at just all of the different ways that humans present themselves, especially Mm -hmm. in a learning environment and we welcome the diversity of that, I think that that can be beautiful. And I do think when I talked about the diversity of growth, I think growth looks different. And I think, especially right now, I think there's a way that we like hard metrics and data and standardized testing and things like that to say, this is how we measure growth. Mm -hmm. But not every child grows in that trajectory. Not every child in those analytics will show. And I think when I'm intentionally looking for evidence of growth, it makes me a better observer. It makes me a better teacher. It definitely makes me a better human because I, I think that terrible example, but it, thinking about the corpse flower—if you've heard of the corpse <laughs> no, flower—the no. corpse flower only blooms like once every sev- like over a decade. Mm-hmm. It blooms, and then when it blooms, it smells like a dead rotting body. <laughs> wow. But if you're looking at it for those years where it doesn't bloom, it doesn't look like anything's happening. Yeah. But it's all internal, and you could. And corpse flowers are kind of rare, in fact, because people don't see them as anything. Valuable they've been chopped down because they just look like twigs, well kind of greenish p- mm-hmm. thick pieces of grass in the ground if you don't recognize them and I think s- some of our students are like that too. there's growth going on, but it, it's it's going to take a while, and we might not see it if we're just measuring the standard way oh yeah
0: um, you mentioned interests a moment ago, and you know I've seen you talk about the power of bringing pop culture into the classroom a couple of times, and I, I love your talk on this, but you know, some teachers are hesitant or they don't know how to begin. How do you approach bringing pop culture into the classroom, and, and what is your advice?
1: I think when it comes to pop culture in the classroom, one of the first things that I usually suggest to people is to realize that pop culture is only pop culture because of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We never know what culture is going to be considered fine art. At some point, you know, Charles Dickens was sort of like the Daniel Steele of his day. (laughs) At some point, Mozart was the Justin Bieber of his day. And so I think um, we can't judge necessarily what's going to end up being classic Mm -hmm. in a little while. The other thing is that I think all of us as teachers have grown up thinking about valuing students' culture, like their ethnicity, their religion, their family of origin, all of these different things. And we sometimes forget that popular culture is also part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And for some kids, that might be their predominant culture, television, movies, music, video games. And just because one child maybe takes, you know, hard shoe dancing on the weekends, that doesn't make it less valid than a child who um, plays video games on mm-hmm. the weekends. These are cultural decisions and I think if we look at it like that it's a great opportunity to get to know our kids get to know their experiences it's also a great way to connect with them because Mm -hmm. even if students aren't fans of pop culture or not fans of the particular pop culture that you picked to look at with your kids they do well they like to hate watch (laughs) 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 you know they like to they they know who these people are and they have opinions on those people and so there's that it's always engaging even if the engagement is feeling superior mm-hmm. and i do think that pop culture gives us so much opportunity for teaching really hard concepts because it's deceptive it feels accessible it feels easy and when in fact it's it it can have some complications it's just the lens that that goes on it
0: My thanks to Colleen for her time today. You can join her for a special two-par webinar series through Heinem's professional development. The event is called Unstoppable Teaching Strategies for Making Writing Irresistible. It's based on Colleen's book, The Unstoppable Writing Teacher. Participants will have an opportunity for exploring various media options, learn specific strategies for teaching difficult skills and concepts, and take away tips for finding and mining their own engaging kid culture materials For transformative writing instruction even if you've not yet read the unstoppable writing teacher fear not you can still learn a great deal just by spending time with colleen in this webinar for more information check out the heinemann website at heinemann.com where you can learn more about the webinar and review the unstoppable writing teacher and include blogs videos and more don't forget to follow colleen on twitter at colleen underscore cruz Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann Authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.